Hi, this is a message from Life Church Leeds. We hope it encourages and helps you. Well, we started a little thing last week, something that's called What Really Matters. Looking at the end of 2021, can you believe we are six weeks away from 2022? Weird. It'll be 2030 before you know it. But 2021, we come to the end of it, and we just thought it would be good just to summarise what really matters. What is really important about our lives? And last week, we spoke about the prosperity of the soul and how the health of your soul and the condition of your soul, guess what? It really matters. It's more important than anything. The Bible says, what good is it for man to gain the whole world? gain everything, gain promotion, gain influence, gain fame, gain wealth, gain possessions, gain whatever you put in that bracket of gain at the expense of your soul. Jesus is saying nothing is worth trading your soul because your soul is God made. Your soul belongs to the Lord. And if you haven't caught that message, you can listen to it on Spotify, Apple Music, I believe. Just type in Life Church Leads and they all come up there. Um, And so today I said last week that we'd speak on the soul, but today I said that we would speak about family and friends. And so that's what I'm going to do, family and friends. And I believe, and I think you'd agree with me, that when we're talking about what really matters, put your hand up if you believe family and friends really matters. And so let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. In fact, you don't need to turn there. We're going to read it on the screen in the message version. So I'm going to read it from a particular translation because the message version puts it, like this. It says, I turned my head and I saw yet another wisp of smoke on its way to nothingness. Now, this is Solomon who writes Ecclesiastes when he's not in a good place. Okay, he's a little bit down. There's a lot of things going on in his life. Um, KFC is shut. Um, <laughs> situations that have caused him to be a little bit. And so, the whole, a lot of Ecclesiastes comes from a bit of a place of. Um, of a whinge really but there is wisdom within the whinge a little bit and so let's get some wisdom from the whinge and he says this a solitary person this is who he he's regarding himself as completely alone no children no family no friends yet absurd yet working obsessively late into the night compulsively greedy for more and more never bothering to ask Why am I working like a dog, (laughs) never having any fun? And who cares? More smoke. It's a bad business. Don't you love the Word of God? (laughs) I love the Bible. I think it's so awesome because this was written like thousands of years ago, and yet that verse feels like it could have just been written last week. I'm alone. I feel like I've got no family. I've got no friends. The reality is I feel like I'm having no fun because I'm working like a dog. Put your hand in here if you feel like you're working like a dog. <laughs> I don't know if dogs actually, dogs actually work. Most dogs I see normally just spend their time sleeping, eating and barking. And so I don't get this where this working like a dog comes from. But Solomon is onto something And there are some messages that I preach, and I appreciate it's easy for you to turn off, (laughs) switch off. Because you might think, it's not relevant to me, it's not that important to me, heard this before, da-da-da-da-da. Today is probably one of the most relevant messages to your life, because I'm speaking about your family, and I'm speaking about your friends. 
Put your hand up in here if you have family. Put your hand up in here if you have some level of friendship. (laughs) Notice how I worded that. We all have family. Natural family. Some of you might have a limited natural family, a small natural family. Some of you might have no natural family. But we pray that we could become or some people could become your spiritual family. But all of us have been born of someone. And so whether you like your family, dislike your family, get on with your family, don't get on with your family. We all have family. Dara's parent to toddlers, please. (laughs) And everyone has some level of friendship. How many of you know we don't choose our family? How many of you wish you could? (laughs) But we do choose our friends. And I think your family, and when I'm talking about your family, I suppose I'm really talking about your natural family. So for me, it is our Niblock family. Now, our family is very small, okay? I have a mother, I have a father, I have a brother, I have a sister, and I have an auntie and an uncle. Okay, that's it. Um, My grandparents have um, passed away. We have a very small family. And so ours is is quite small. Um, Obviously, there's further extensions as you go to further families, but that would really be our immediate family. Some people in here, I'm sure, have huge families. You've got multiple siblings and multiple aunts and uncles. And Christmas Day for you is like going to Morrison's on Christmas Eve. It is... People everywhere, and there's people you don't even know. And you, hey, what's your name? My name's Steve. I'm your uncle. Ah, oh, nice to meet you, Steve. <laughs> and so some of you know your family very well, and some of you are still finding out <laughs> who your family is. Well, I think your family is your greatest influence on who you become. Especially in the early stages of your life, we, ha- we can't deny that the parental influence And the family environment has to be the greatest influence on who you become in those early years. Many psychologists believe by the age of eight, most of your values are formed. By the age of eight, most of your values and things that are important to you are formed. Obviously, things will still be formed after that, but it is crucial. So family is your greatest influence on who you become. And I think your friends are the greatest reflection on who you have become. Does that make sense? Your family is the greatest influence on who you have become, but your friendships are the greatest reflection on who you have become. And I want to say at the outset of this message, we are a church that believes it is not good to forsake or neglect your family or your friends for anything. And so I want to kind of, the reason we're doing this is because we think what really matters is your family and we think what really matters is your friends. And so the priority of that, we're trying to elevate the importance. And my aim today really is to kind of get some of you thinking about your family and your family dynamics and to get some of you thinking about your friendships. That's my main aim. I I don't feel like I'm going to give you a list of notes where you're going to go home today and go, wow, that was revelation, that was deep. And my aim is to kind of provoke you a little bit to think about what is the condition and the health of your family right now and what do your friendships look like? Does that make sense? Genesis chapter 5, verse 1 to 8, is probably one of the saddest 
portions in the Bible. In fact, we'll come back to that in a second because Genesis 4 is the saddest part in the Bible. But Genesis 5, verse 1 to 8, it says this, Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. Now, how many of you know that is important? He created them male and female and he blessed them. God's blessing is on males and females and he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son. Just let that sink in. Just some of you 60, 70 year olds, when you think it's over, hey, you know what? I believe God has got plans for you to have further children. I got a feeling that tonight's gonna be a good. When he was turned from 30 years old, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth, and Seth was born. Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Adam lived a total of 930 years, and if you believe him for that, and then he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh, and he became the father of Enosh, and Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan, and he became the father of Kenan. Enosh lived 850 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years years. I don't need to go further, but basically that whole chapter of Genesis chapter 5 talks all the way from Adam to Noah and the family lineage that was connected. They lived a lot of years and they had a lot of sons and they had a lot of daughters. But the first ever family, how many of you know, it is Adam and Eve, the parents. And in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve are made in the image of God. And the Bible says that they have two sons, Adam and Eve, initially, Cain and Abel. Seth came after Cain and Abel. And Cain was jealous of Abel, jealous of what he had presented and the offering that he had given. And that jealousy led to anger. How many of you know jealousy can lead to anger? And Cain attacked his brother, And he killed his brother. Think about this for a moment. This is a murder in the first ever family that God creates four chapters in to the book of Genesis. Have you ever paused and reflected on that for a moment? The first ever family, a son murdered his brother. And that's why I think it is the saddest chapter Made in the likeness and the image of God, Adam and Eve, and yet murder takes place. It shows you the challenge of family (laughs) right from the beginning of the Bible. And I think the disunity of family, if you would agree with me, creates the greatest pain. For those of you that might have some form of disunity in your family, I believe it causes the greatest pain in your life. But the unity of family, I believe, creates the greatest blessing in your life. There is something about disunity in family and unity in family which has a huge impact on your life. When I speak of my family experience, we are so, I'm so grateful, and you could use the word blessed and thankful, 
that uh, I am part of a united family. There is unity in our family. That doesn't mean we don't sometimes have some disagreements. It means we don't sometimes have some um, mini fallouts. But on the whole, there has been great unity in our family. I'm blessed that my parents have stayed together and that there has always been what I'd call a real godly unity in our family. And that has been an incredible blessing to my family and to me personally. I know some of you in here would have very different experiences of your own family and maybe some of you were brought up by a mum or a dad and or maybe you experienced divorce when you were a child or growing up or maybe there are some family feuds and there were some family divides in your family and this house doesn't talk to this house and this sister doesn't talk to this brother and that causes disunity and the reality is I think it causes great pain. But whatever family you are in, I want to encourage you today that you can influence your family for good. That if you are in your family, you can influence that family for good. So often in life, we challenge culture and we challenge culture in workplaces. We challenge culture in businesses. We challenge culture in churches. And that is quite right. But with family, sometimes we go, well, I'm not going to go there. That's just the way it is. That's just the way our family has always been. He's always rude. She's always angry. There's always this argument. There's always this fallout. There's always this tension. It's just the way it is. Now, if that tension was in an office, you would deal with it, hopefully. If that tension was in a team, the host team, hopefully you would deal with it. If that tension was in a group of friends, hopefully you would deal with it. But when it comes to family, why do we sometimes think, I ain't going there? I'm not going to go there. I'm going to stay clear of that. But I want to encourage you, if we influence and challenge cultures in those places, then maybe you didn't create that culture in your natural family. But I want to encourage you, you can influence it still for good. Every family tree produces some lemons, some nuts and a few bad apples. (laughs) Every family tree creates those. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so wherever your family is positioned in your wider family, you have a role and a responsibility to influence the culture of that family for good. You don't add to it and make it worse. No, you influence it and you make it better. Can I encourage you to work for unity in your family? How do you do that? You show up. You should be showing up to your family. If there is a dedication, be there. If there is a birthday, be there. If there is a funeral, be there. If there is a wedding celebration, be there. And if you're like, well, I don't want to be there. I prefer to be at Ellen Road watching the football. I prefer to be going shopping. I've got things to do. I've got to paint my nails. You are basically showing you there are your family. That family is not a priority to you. And I think it is godly to put family as a priority and to show up and to show care and to show love and to treat your family with the respect that it deserves. Is this making sense? Is this a little bit too direct or is this okay for me just to, if any of you disagree, I'm happy to talk with you afterwards. But how can we model the beautiful family of God that I believe we are a part of, and you might not know me very well, and I might not know you very well. I know some of you a lot better than others, and some of you know me pretty well. You know my strengths, and you know my weaknesses. But we are part, the Bible says, of the family of God, which is part of the kingdom of God. 
because we have been adopted into the family, we are we, we share in the sonship there, we share in the we, we share in the belonging of the family of God the Father. But how can we model the beautiful family of God if our natural families are dysfunctional? How can we invite people into the beautiful family of God if we get our natural families all out of sync? In fact, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, he says, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family well, how can he take care of God's church? Paul is basically saying family comes before your church leadership. If you can't manage your children, if you cannot have unity in your immediate family, if there is fallout consistently in your natural family, guess what? There will be fallout naturally in the wider church family because you take you with you. You see, what I lead is an extension of who I am. Our leadership, how we lead this church, we don't kind of lead some one way at home and then morph into different people and we just come into the church. No, that hopefully the authenticity of us says who we are in our home is who we are in our church family. And so we bring everything with us. And so we lead out of the extension of who we are as people. And Paul is basically saying, you've got to earn, learn what it is to manage and lead and influence your own family well before you start to think you can influence the family of God. Calling by God, I think, that your number one priority and your number one ministry, I'd call it a ministry, is your family. And many pastors and leaders grew up over decades putting ministry first at the expense of their kids, traveling around the world and doing revival crusades and gospel things around the world and great, saw amazing things, but sometimes they'd come home to dysfunctional family. They'd come home to a wife who was unhappy and frustrated because she'd been with the kids the whole time and hadn't had the husband inputting and helping. He's been traveling around and the kids don't know the dad and the dad comes back and he's straight out again. But I'm doing ministry for the Lord. Yes, but your home is broken. And I think what has been healthy in the last few years, maybe decades, I think there has been a reversal of that. And we are now championing the health in families before we champion in the success of your ministry. Let's be healthy in our homes before we want to try and do great things for God. It's not either or. You can be healthy in your home and guess what? Also do great things for God. So then how do you reference, Dave? You're talking about family being a priority. But how do you reference Luke chapter 14, verse 26? Some of you are thinking. This is Jesus speaking. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person, Jesus says, cannot be my disciple. (laughs) How many of you heard that verse before? And so some of you are automatically going, well, you say family's a priority and it's important to God, but Jesus clearly says you have to hate your father and your mother. You have to hate your children. And if you don't, you can't be my disciple. Jesus is basically speaking, he's talking about counting the cost of being a disciple. And he's basically saying the cost is so great that in comparison to your family, loving God and serving God is far a greater commitment than it is to your family. And Jesus is using strong word. He's using a strong word, hate, to get his point across, basically saying, there is, there is nothing that quite compares with being committed to Christ, being a, being a disciple of Christ. The, the comparison is like, it's too vast in terms of, if you want to compare it, you have to hate your father and mother. That's how much you need to love and be devoted to Christ. 
But many people have taken that and gone, well, that's what I need to do. I just need to sacrifice all of that and follow Jesus. I don't think that is what Jesus is saying at all. Jesus doesn't want you to hate your family. He wants you to love your family, but he wants you to love your family from a place of utter commitment and discipleship to Jesus Christ. So I love my family better when I'm a better disciple of Christ. I think becoming a disciple of Christ doesn't make me love my family work, make me, make me love and care for my family less. It makes me love and care for my family more. As I become a disciple of Christ, it leads me closer to my family. But I think it is important to notice this. Some people can choose loyalty to family over loyalty to Jesus. Some people will choose loyalty to family over loyalty to Jesus. And Jesus is your saviour. He is who we live for. And our prayer is that you don't have to make that call between Jesus or family, where your family go, where you choose. It's either Jesus or family. Our prayer is that you don't have to make that call. But in your discipleship of Christ, it leads you to love and it leads you to serve your family more. In fact, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 verse 8, he says, you need to be providing for your relatives. He says, you need to provide for your family. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That is how important Paul thinks it is to be providing and supporting and helping your family out. And so when you go through family pain, if any of you go through family pain, Can I encourage you, humble yourself. Don't go in like a bulldozer. Don't win the argument, but lose the person. Be prepared to lose the argument and win the person. Forgive quickly. Don't hold grudges. Protect family. Protect the name of your family. Protect your parents. Protect your siblings. Protect the reputation of your family. Stand up for your family. Provide for your family. Don't provide for everyone else at the expense of your family. And build legacy. Don't just think now. Build legacy. Be thinking about your grandkids. You might be thinking, I've not even got a girlfriend yet. (laughs) But be thinking grandkids. Be thinking great grandkids. Any grandparents in here? How many of you love being a grandparent? I know why you love it. Because you have the kids for a couple of hours and you pass them back when you've had enough but most grandparents I love they love being a grandparent and they speak there's something rich about the legacy that they leave and I'm sure as you get older you start to think what am I leaving behind what resources am I leaving behind what gifts am I leaving behind what wisdom what stuff what stuff can I leave that is going to help resource my family to the next level build legacy family isn't easy how many of you know family can be real tough sometimes But a strong, secure family unit is the heart of God. And I want to encourage you, be part of the answer. Be part of the healing and be part of the restoration. Amen. Friends in three minutes. (laughs) That is family. When it comes to friends, the Bible says, in fact, not the Bible says, but um, there's a quote. How many of you have heard this quote before? Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. How many of you have heard that? If I'm honest, I've never really liked that quote. 
I've never really liked that slogan. I'm, I almost feel it's really like just patronizing, to be honest. Because if Jesus showed us his friends, <laughs> his future didn't look that great. One of his friends is betraying him and stealing money from him. Another, another friend basically says, I don't even know who he is. Another friend doubts if he's actually who he is. When Jesus dies on the cross, they all desert him. Thanks, apostles, disciples who I now call friends. And at the time, things get hot. So let's just discard that. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I know what people mean with it. But I don't think friends determine your future. I think friends impact the journey on the way to your future. And the truth is, we all need friends. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, here's the difference between companions and friends. How many of you got lots of companions? I've got lots of companions. I'm sure you've got lots of companions. Companions will walk with you, but friends will stand with you. (laughs) Companions will walk with you, But true friends will stand with you. And any of you like T.D. Jakes in here, T.D. Jakes shares a message once about friendship. And I remember watching it and listening to it. And he he thinks there's three types of friendships. The first one he calls confidants. Confidants are people in your life who love you unconditionally. They are into you, whether you are up or whether you are down. Whether you are right or wrong, they are into you. They are in for the long haul. If you get in trouble, they will get in trouble with you. You can open up to them. You can share anything with them. You cannot be David until you find your Jonathan. Confidants will confront you. They will challenge you. And in your lifetime, you might have two, three, four, five confidants. But confidants are important. And I encourage all of you to have some form of confidant. You then have constituents. And constituents are great friends in your life but they are more into what you are for. They stand what you are for and they walk with you with what you are for and from that friendship emerges and they share what you are for and sometimes constituents come and go. Sometimes you'll have a constituent who's a friend for a couple of years and you're really close and then you don't see them again and they come and go. Why? Because they were with you for what you were for. Then you have thirdly comrades and comrades are friends with you because they are against what you are against. And like scaffolding, they come into your life to fulfill a purpose. But when the purpose is complete, it's almost like the scaffolding is removed. And sometimes they come and go. And there's nothing wrong with constituents. And there's nothing wrong with comrades. And CD is basically an interesting point. He's basically saying all those three relationships are important in our world. And there's obviously different levels of closeness within them. But really the main emphasis is find some confidants. People who are for you, who will get into trouble with you, who will stand with you. You see, some friendships are based on personality. Some friendships are based on purpose. And sometimes someone once said to me, but Dave, you need to have purpose-driven friendships. Purpose-driven friendships. And I'm like, well, that sounds good. I'm going to write that down. The problem with purpose-driven friendships, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, it's not very spiritual, I know Luke's playing, but the problem with purpose-driven friendships is that sometimes they become intensely robotic. Sometimes you just need some friends just because you enjoy being with them. There's not really purpose attached other than the fact that I just love having a glass of wine with you. I love just talking with you. I love being with you. I just We don't have some intense 
robotic purpose to it. There is just an enjoyment. And if you don't have good friends in here today, can I ask you this question? You need to ask yourself, why? And sometimes that's a tough question to ask yourself. And I've asked myself that sometimes. Why? Is there something in me that stops me making those close, important friendships? Am I too guarded? Am I too distracted? Am I too preoccupied? Am I too selfish? Am I... What is it in me? Because I want to be a person and you want to be a person. We want to be a church that has deep-rooted, healthy, God-given friends. Because friendship requires time. It requires honesty and openness. And friendship requires kindness. It requires care. And when anything significant took place in the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, guess what? It was always rooted in friendship. It was always rooted in relationship. It was people who would come together. Sometimes they were constituents and sometimes they were comrades, but more often than not, they were confidants. That we're going to do this together. It is how God has orchestrated the kingdom of God. Friendship is not a worldly idea. Friendship is a God idea. Because there is something in me that you need and there is something in you that I need. And the Bible tells of friendships in the Bible that are full of covenant which is basically mean we are in this together. David and John, and there's a covenant, like where you go, I go, and we're going to stick together, and we're, we're together in this. But the Bible also talks about friendships of fallout. The Bible says Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they fell out and went their separate ways. Friends in ministry together who just fell out, really. They had to go separate ways. Well, okay, I'm done with you, you're done with me. And I'm sure there was respect and unity that might have been restored. But the Bible does talk about friendships of fallout, but also friendships of betrayal. And they are all natural aspects of friendship. But don't let a previous broken friendship prevent you from building new ones. Because sometimes when trust is broken, when we go through a friendship and it's difficult, and you go, okay, I'm too guarded now, and I'm going to get this close, but I'm not going to get super close. And you spend the next few years of your life struggling to make deep friends because that friend back there hurt you. Can I encourage you, don't let that prevent you from building new ones. Because when you find true friends, how many of you would agree, life is so much better? When you you find true friends, don't open bottles of champagne on your own. You open bottles of champagne with friends. There are things that you do in life that just requires friendship to do it with. And life is so much richer, so much better with friends. And Jesus consistently sat around tables. In fact, more of Jesus's ministry was around tables than it was ever around platforms. Jesus was much more around sitting around your dining table than he was standing up on this stage. Because more of his ministry was all about reclining with his friends. The Bible keeps talking that word. Why does it keep using with reclining? Why does it keep saying he was reclining at the table? Because it's trying to tell us Jesus was at ease. There was a comfortable nature with Jesus with his friends. There was conversation around those tables. I'm sure some of it was meaningful conversation. I'm sure some of the conversation Jesus had with his friends was banter. Talking about how Jerusalem had just lost to Bethlehem. (laughs) And there was pressure on the Jerusalem manager because he's lost six games on the bounce and his name's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and there's just... 
I'm sure there was banter. It wouldn't all have just been spirit and teaching and get back behind me, Satan, and we're going to do this. And I'm sure there were times when, you know, they played pranks on each other. Jesus played pranks on disciples. Did he do that? I'm going to preach that next week. (laughs) And here's my answer. I think he did. It's friendship. He was like me. He was like you. (laughs) There was mission. Mission around the table. Let's do something together. Let's make the world a better place together. And my question as I close is this. What fruit comes from your friendships? That's a good question to ask. What fruit comes from your friendships? Do you have fruitful friends or do you have futile friends? Futile friends are friends incapable of producing anything useful. (laughs) That's what futile means. Can I encourage you? Have fruitful friends. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do not let bad company corrupt good character how many times have you seen character ruined by people staying around bad company an old proverb which is as relevant today as ever be intentional with your friendships be intentional with your family and be intentional with your friendships in Jesus name amen come on let's stand to our feet this morning I know it's kind of a different feel today, but I just felt I wanted to go a little bit more practical on our family and our friends. But if you could just stay around for a minute, because I want to ask you this, as I was preparing this message, I said God wanted to pray into a few things today. Because in our church, we want to do family and we want to do friendship well. We want to do it well. We want to do family well and we want to do friendship well. But with every eye closed in, I don't want to embarrass you in here. And please don't be form of any form of pressure. But I just sense I wanted to pray into four different people groups today. Parents in here who have sons or daughters, who you would call them prodigals, they have kind of they're not walking with God, and they might not be eating pig pods, and they might not have squandered their inheritance. I'm sure they're fantastic children that you love deeply, but you you have a deep passion for them to be walking with God again. If that is you in the room, would you just raise your hand? We want to pray with you today. Wow, so many hands raised. God, I pray that you help these parents love and shepherd and guide their children and pray for them no matter how young or how old they may be. Pray they may have the attitude of the father who is in the house just gleefully, joyfully waiting and being there for whenever there is a decide decision of repentance in their children. Pray there wouldn't be judgment, but there'd be love and care and compassion. And may our hearts be turned towards our children, not against them. We pray for these parents in the room today. For those who might not feel they have the Father's heart to welcome them back, I pray that you would do some heart surgery today. In Jesus' name, amen. Other groups in here, some of you have had a family feud. I don't need to know the details. And it might be in your immediate family, it might be in your extended family, but it's a feud. It's how you could, that's how you call it. It's a feud. It's just, you don't see them, you don't speak to them. It's just a separation. If that is you in the room, would you raise your hand? God, you see these hands. 
And I pray that you would be the peace and you'd be the bridge of reconciliation, that you would use these hands raised to be part of the answer and not part of the problem, to be part of the solution. Jesus, that you'd bring love and restoration and hope to these families and that there'd be great restoration and great blessing and joy as a result of unity in their families again. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you, and this is a little bit more personal, some of you just lonely. And you've got comrades and you feel like you've got constituents, but you just don't feel you have those people that are just with you, with you, with you. And if you have the courage and you don't have to raise your hand, if you prefer not to, I get it. But if you want to raise your hand, if you like, that's me today. God, I pray for people in the room who just sense that loneliness. They just sense that thing of, I just don't feel I have those friends. God, I pray that we would all today leave this room with a desire to be intentional. And God, that you would supernaturally work in our lives and bring great people into our world who are great friends to us, that we can also be great friends to them, lifelong friends, purposeful friends, friends that we can laugh until our belly hurts with, friends that we can stay up late with, friends that we can be open and honest and truly ourselves with. In Jesus' name, amen. And fourth and finally, the fourth group of people I want to pray for today, those of you that have been hurt. There is hurt from family or there is hurt from friendship. And I believe today that God would help and God would heal you in Jesus' name. If that is you, would you just raise your hand up? God, I pray you heal these hearts. Supernaturally do heart surgery on people who are hurt in this room. And while they've looked to do different things and tried different things, God, I pray that you would be their healing place. And God, that you would heal that which is broken and that which has been causing pain. And God, we would sense a health return and a health restore to the hurt that we may have experienced. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's sing this song together as we close this service and I'll come back up and pray for you as we finish.